1998. Candle in the Wind 1997 tops the charts and the lyrics were auctioned for $442,500. The U.S. President was Bill Clinton and the U.K. Prime Minister was Tony Blair. People in the U.S. were listening to Nice and Slow by Usher and in the U.K. Dr. Jones by Aqua. Titanic was a number one movie, and Paradise by Tony Brooks was one of the best-selling books. But one quaint little town in Illinois had a killer lurking, ready to explode. Hello, and welcome to Where Have All the Children Gone? My name is Allie. You know, during this time of pandemic of COVID-19, the media has only mentioned the rise in domestic partner abuse, but what hasn't been mentioned is the rise in child abuse rates. Hospitals are seeing a rise of major trauma cases such as fractures, head trauma, neglect, and physical damage from sexual abuse, all things where the parent had to seek medical care. The doctors are concerned about what they aren't seeing. So if you suspect a child is being neglected or abused, please contact a child assist line such as Child Help Hotline at 1-800-4-A-CHILD they are multilingual prevention and intervention of abuse. Or call your local Department of Child Services, known as CPS, or in some states, it's just the Department of Social Services. But care enough to save a child. The case this week is of Christopher Churchill. He was born December 19, 1981. He lived in Noble, Illinois, and was a classic small American town of 800 residents. It was set among cornfields, oil wells, and they had one grocery store, one diner, and one liquor store. Now, Christopher Churchill was described as a sad and lonely 16-year-old boy. His story is a common one. No father in the picture. His mother, Susan Churchill's involvement in his life was unreliable. Churchill had a low IQ and had difficulty at school. So he was bullied, didn't socialize much, and became a loner. He turned to alcohol and drugs to try and bury the pain of repeatedly being told he was a loser. He got into fights. He was kicked out of his local high school, was transferred to school in Olney, and finally dropped out. In comes Jonathan Lloyd, Christopher's 17-year-old half-brother who has been living with a foster family in Texas. A half-brother he never knew existed. His mother seems to him the happiest he has ever seen her, and in his mind she fawns over Jonathan. Although his mom wasn't all that great, she was his, and now he feels replaced by Jonathan, while Susan Churchill is hoping that the calm and more mature temperament of Jonathan rubs off on Christopher. Another part of our story is Deborah Ann Shelton Smith, 35. She was a co-worker of Susan Churchill's at a VCR packaging company. Deborah became estranged from her husband, Kurt Smith, but they have remained on friendly terms in her process of a divorce. Deborah and her three children need a place to stay, and Susan opens her home to Deborah and her three children, Jennifer, 12, Corey, 10, and Kenneth, 6. While Susan was living there, she meets Jonathan. Although she's 35 and he's 17, Jonathan and Deborah fall in love and move out into their own home nearby. Chris Churchill becomes a frequent visitor at the home sometimes even staying overnight. On February 7th, 1998, 
the night before the murders, the family was seen on a shopping trip at Walmart. While there, Jonathan bought Deborah an engagement ring and Corey a bicycle and other gifts for the children. Jonathan proposed and Deborah said yes, so the family were in high spirits the next day as they went on an outing. When they arrived home that night, they found Christopher waiting for them on their doorstep. They invited him in to join for their celebratory dinner. After dinner, Jonathan, Deborah, Christopher, and Jennifer sat at a table for a few hands of cards. Christopher became noticeably annoyed after losing consecutive hands and even became angry after Jonathan and Deborah and later 12-year-old Jennifer teased him about the lack of card playing ability. Maybe it took him back to the schoolyard bullying and the teasing and reminded him he was a loser in everyone's mind, especially his own. Excited about their day, their new toys, and especially that they were going to be a family. Jonathan, Deborah, and the kids said goodnight to Christopher and went upstairs to bed. But not Christopher. Instead of working out or going for a run or making plans on how he could get a job and obtain independence and get away from the family in town who labeled him a loser. No, instead of making a good choice, he made the wrong choice. Christopher started drinking, smoking pot, and watching his favorite slasher movies. Unbeknownst to Jonathan, Christopher had fantasized of killing him for a while because of what he perceived as previous mocking and abuse since Jonathan's arrival. And after the humiliation tonight, Christopher decided it was time to teach Jonathan a lesson. The more he thought about it, the angrier he became until he leapt out of his chair, grabbed a hammer from the kitchen, and headed upstairs. Surprisingly, he didn't go directly to his brother's room, the person that he had anger towards. No, he went directly to the room where 10-year-old Corey slept with his six-year-old brother, Kenny. Corey was struck first, five vicious blows that shattered his skull and demolished his brain underneath. Then Christopher turned his attention to little Kenny and hit this precious little boy with an equally vicious onslaught of hammer blows leaving his blood and brain matter draining on his pillow like his brother. There was absolutely no reason to have killed these sweet little boys. They adored him. But to Christopher, they were practice. After committing this savage double murder, Christopher calmly returned to his chair by the television. He noted the time on the clock was 5.56 and knew the rest of the family would be awakened soon and they too would have to die. A short while later, he hears Jennifer's alarm go off. Christopher, knowing the family's routine, knows that Jennifer will be getting up to go to her brother's room to wake them for school. On this morning, she won't make it. Because Churchill has quickly snuck up the stairs and ambushes her with the hammer in the hallway before she can even make a sound. He then steps over Jennifer's body, thinking she is dead, and heads to his brother's and Deborah's room. He opens the door quietly and viciously smashes the hammer down on both of them while they're sleeping. After watching more television, he is awakened by a noise and finds Jennifer did not die from her initial injuries. Was he filled with remorse at what he had done? Did he call 911 to get Jennifer help? 
No, this sick bastard committed another act of total depravity and repeatedly raped the 12-year-old Jennifer as she lay dying. He would make her last moments full of pain, shame, and remorse while intermittently watching his television movies. He made her feel the emotions he should have felt but had no capacity. Chris Churchill, a 16-year-old boy, has brutally slain five people, three of them innocent children. So what does he do next? Does he flee the crime scene? Does he call the police and turn himself in? No, Chris did none of these. He has no conscience. Instead, he watched more television, then stepped over Jennifer's corpse on the way to the bathroom to get cleaned up, fixed himself a meal, ate it with relish, and then raided his brother's wallet pocketing $900 in cash. Only then did he finally leave the house of his murders. One would think he would stay away from the house after all that he had done, but over the next six days after the murders, Christopher is seen entering and leaving the house on multiple occasions, as the bodies of the entire family, who were just starting a new chapter in their life, are now lying dead and decaying upstairs. I mean, imagine it. He would have had to smell that horrific smell of decay. He would have had to step over Jennifer's dead corpse any time he had to go to the bathroom, just to name a few things. Just when you think he couldn't get any sicker. When he was out and about with his friend, he was flashing a lot of cash around, splurging on takeout meals and DVDs and other items. When his friend asked him how he came about this newfound wealth, Christopher bragged about killing his brother, his brother's girlfriend, and her brats. Initially, the teenager laughed it off, but on later reflection wondered if he was telling the truth. So he notified the police of the conversation. Some say this is how the police found out about the murders. Others say it's when the school called in concern that all three of the children had missed school the entire week. Either way, the police having grounds to enter on a wellness check found the grisly remains of one boy's rage. Christopher was quickly taken into custody and didn't even claim he was innocent. In a videotape interview, he confessed calmly and in detail to his crimes. However, at trial, he claimed not guilty and tried to get his confession thrown out. Churchill's lawyer tried to sell to the jury someone else was responsible for the killings and that Churchill was protecting his friends in a misguided attempt at altruism. But as his friend never actually appeared, it was an unsubstantiated argument. Fortunately, the judge didn't throw out the confession. And when the prosecutors played Christopher Churchill's videotape confession to the five violent killings, the teenager covered his ears. According to Churchill's videotape confession, he committed the murders of Jonathan Lloyd, Deborah Smith, 12-year-old Jennifer Smith, 10-year-old Corey Smith, and 6-year-old Kenny Smith to relieve pent-up stress. He had fantasized about killing Jonathan for a long time. The rest were just extra stress relief. The catalyst had been his perceived humiliation he had suffered at the card game. When he was asked about Jennifer, this sicko didn't even want to verbally admit to the rape. He actually asked, do I have to actually say it? What, an actual emotion? Embarrassment? 
didn't want his mommy to know he violated a dying girl. But wait, he later confessed to repeatedly raping her, but only while she was alive. Great comfort to her family knowing their daughter was in horrible pain, repeatedly being violated, but only until she finally died. I'm not sure why this was so important to get the only while she was alive on the record because later Christopher also confessed to necrophilia by raping the corpse of Kenny and the corpse of Deborah. And some reports say he also raped the corpse of Corey. When asked why he defiled the corpses, Churchill said that he felt like being sick. Well, he certainly surpassed that. He was definitely major depraved. The murder weapon, the hammer, was found behind the living room couch where Churchill said it would be. However, the most damning evidence was the Marilyn Manson t-shirt that Churchill admitted to have been wearing at the time of the murders. The shirt had been washed, but traces of blood were found on the stitching of the sleeve. It was subjected to DNA analysis and came back as a match. To Deborah Smith. On April 29, 1999, having been tried as an adult, Churchill was sentenced to two consecutive, which means one following the other, life sentences for the murders of Deborah and Jennifer Smith, and three concurrent, or simultaneously, life sentences for the murders of Corey and Kenny Smith and Jonathan Lloyd. He also received 50 years for aggravated criminal sexual assault for raping a victim during and after the murders and seven years for burglary. Since Churchill was 16 at the time of the murders, the death penalty could not be applied to this case. Churchill is currently held at Menard Correctional Center in Chester. So after the conviction. Well, as I've mentioned before, a 2012 U.S. Supreme Court decision banned the automatic sentencing of juvenile offenders in life, or excuse me, to life in prison without parole due to their possibility of reform due to their age. It included prior offenders retroactively if their offense was before age 18. For those states who have adopted this ban, every youth currently incarcerated could request his or her case be reviewed regarding the possibility of parole added if the youth offender could show proof he was rehabilitated. Now, not all states have accepted this Supreme Court ruling um, as one would expect is being um, challenged in those states that haven't, but it is under the understanding that they're still developing and therefore have a chance to be rehabilitated. And if they showed that they could be rehabilitated, then they should have a chance of parole. Um, and it varies from state to state. Some say after 20 years, some say after 40, others 50. Others are staying to the life without parole. This gave the mass murderer Christopher Churchill hope for a reduced sentence. Churchill traveled from Menard Correctional Center in Chester to Richland County Courthouse to be informed of his new rights in accordance with the recent Supreme Court decision. The Richland County courtroom overflowed with community members, some of whom stated outside the court they wanted to see Churchill spend the rest of his life in prison. As he was informed by the court of his right to request a new sentencing, in a silent courtroom, Churchill stood, his jaw clenching and unclenching, his face grew red. He breathed deeply and then spoke for himself. 
Would I request a tree trial? Is it a possibility of getting life without parole? His lawyer requested additional time for his client to consider the option, and Deborah Smith's family started a campaign to keep Chris in prison on Facebook. I was not able to confirm whether he didn't want a resentencing trial or his request was denied by the judge because of the heinous nature of his crime. Either way, according to the family's webpage, he is still incarcerated at Menard Correctional Center, and there hasn't been any media chatter over the last four-plus years since the announcement that he was notified of the resentencing possibility happening. So there you are. You're up to date on Christopher Churchill and the murders of Noble, Illinois. Thank you to the Chicago Tribune, Murderpedia, Killer Kids Volume 5, Robert Keller. Article, Town Gets a Dose of 90s Reality, Five Brutal Killings by Teresa Puente. I thank uh, Fesslian Studios for the music. And please, if you know a child is needing help, you're aware that there may be abuse or neglect, please take the time to contact a child hotline, such as the Child Help Hotline, 1-800-4-A-CHILD. Thanks for listening, and remember, stop evil before it starts. Thank you.